Hi, welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We're very glad you're joining us today and we hope this message inspires you, builds your faith and encourages you in the things of God. Enjoy the message. this morning from the book of Hosea and uh, a lot of us who are Bible Christians a long time we would know the book we would know the storyline but let me just read you a few verses I want to fill you in in the background of the book and maybe draw something that will touch our hearts uh, today in the hour that we're living in because the word of God is a living word it's not a dead word it's not an old-fashioned word I want to just clear that up in the minds of any listeners this morning every single human condition is in the Bible both failure and successes, personality types. There's nothing new under the sun. The Bible has ever, talks about every aspect of life. There is nothing new. Uh, we've discovered nothing new since the scriptures have been uh, written, friends. And so there is, it, it's living and, and, and real, and it speaks into our paradigm and our situation today. Hosea chapter 1. The Lord gave this message to Hosea, the son of Berai, during the years when Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah were kings of Judah, and Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, was the king of Israel. When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, Go marry a prostitute, so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshipping other gods. So Hosea married Gomer the daughter of Dibalim. And she became pregnant and gave Hosea a son. And the Lord said, Name the child Jezreel, for I'm about to punish King Jehu's dynasty to avenge the murders he committed at Jezreel. In fact, I will bring an end to Israel's independence. I will break its military power in the Jezreel Valley. Soon Gomer became pregnant again and gave birth to a daughter. And the Lord said to Hosea, Name your daughter Lo Ruma, not loved, for I will no longer show love to the people of Israel or forgive them, but I will show love to the people of Judah. I will free them from their enemies, not with weapons and armies or horses and chariots, but by my power as the Lord their God. After Gomer was weaned Lo Ruma, she again became pregnant and gave birth to a second and the, Lord, a second, and the Lord said, name him Lo-Ami, which means not my people. For Israel is not my people. I am not their God. So this is an interesting uh, story. The, the background of this, let me give you a little bit of the history. He is um, Hosea. His, main, his name means salvation. And he was known as a holy man, a prophet of God to the northern kingdom of Israel. At this time, Israel had been divided uh, civil war had been averted, but it had split the country under two regimes and two, two kings, two dynasties. And so the northern kingdom was in explosive economic growth. It was a time of great prosperity. They had extended their borders they, right out to the Mediterranean, were in, working with Ethiopian trade, and there was a massive growth in their economy. But there was a huge turning away from God at that time. They, they started to adopt the Phoenician gods and the Canaanite gods of Baal and Asherah and uh, the worship of the calves. And these, there was an importation of religious thought that wasn't 
what established them as a people originally. You remember the story of the Jewish people is that they were God's people that were brought out of the bondage of Egypt and God had done successive miracles, established them in a homeland, but they they had turned away from the Lord. They had literally uh, uh, prostituted themselves to other gods and attributed any greatness or any prosperity in their life to these other gods of the nations around them. And so it was a dark time and it was very subtly done of of course, it wasn't a full rejection of God, uh, of the God that brought them out of Egypt. It was a hybriding of him. It was, well, we have a revelation of God, but we can endorse other ideas of God. And so there was, you know, it was, if you put it in today's philosophy, there's more than one way. There's loads of ways to prosperity, loads of ways to God. And so they imported different philosophical religious viewpoints. And, and God saw that as a turning away from him. Of course, it is a turning away from him. There is only one God. Uh, everything, there is no other God besides our God, the Bible says. There's no other rock besides our God. And so Israel, you know, at this stage were, were looming. The judgment of God was looming over them, even though in the natural they wouldn't see that. In the natural they, they looked to the south, and the south wasn't as near as economically uh, viable at that time. And they would look at the south. The south was this, you could say, for a time uh, more f- faithful to the teaching of God, more faithful to the worship of Jehovah or Yahweh. And yet they looked down and said, well, you know, they're not really prospering. And they were going through a super time of prosper- uh, prosperity. It's interesting when you read the Hosea and, and some of the other minor prophets, you know, they had incredible, as I said, the, the, their, their finances were huge. But also in that, with that love of money came huge corruption. The society around them became very corrupt. The scales in which they measured at the, at the marketplace was corrupt. You know, there was corruption within the families. There was always outdoing one another for financial gain. Fathers and sons were competing with each other in business, and it wasn't always clean. It was subverting business strategies and to get ahead, and it set this sort of a rat race of finances, uh, so much so that, you know, the poor became, were oppressed and they were enslaved, according to, uh, to, uh, to, to Jose, they were enslaved even for a pair of sandals. You owed for a pair of sandals and you couldn't pay them because you were poor. You were put into slavery. So there was this huge injustice and oppression of the poor. A lot of finances available. Uh, and, and then this at each other th- people were at each other's throats. It just goes to show you, it's like the hour that we're living in. You know, the more prosperous the world becomes, the more it becomes dog-eat-dog, the more the divide socially happens, the more money separates families. Money doesn't bring families together. Have you noticed that money can so devour relationships within families? And this is the background of Hosea. This is God's people. These are God's people that are being brought out through many miracles, established the only nation in the planet that had the favor and the revelation of God as they had it at that time. And yet, in their, in their backsliddenness, they turned from the revelation of God and they turned to all these other gods. And of course, these other gods have an, there's, is an attraction to them because they're gods of fertility. They're gods that allow you to live a certain lifestyle. You know, I always, I've spoken to many people over the years of different religions on the earth. I remember speaking to a, a Muslim man one time and of course, you know, he's all very pious about his faith at the time. And, uh, and I said to him, well, I said, you know, do you, do you drink? And he looked at me, you know, uh, well, our religion says we're not to drink. I says, well, I says, but do you drink? He says, well, he says, Allah understands, you know. And, uh, and so they have to have these gods that understand and let them away with their sin. But I thank God this morning, God doesn't let us away with our sin, amen. God deals with our sin. 
and God gives us our God gives us a victory over sin and a power over sin. And so you have, you have this, this moving away and this endorsement of other gods. And so Hosea, whose name is Salvation, he's told by God to marry, I love the King James, it says, marry a woman of low repute. And uh, our, another verse that says, marry a woman of harlotry. Now, I was talking with Pastor Han before that because, I, I, you know, the tradition of you, which is still very strongly viewed upon, is, is the fact that he married someone that was known as a prostitute. And so that brought a great eye-opener to the nation because the prophet himself became a, a book. That's the book that people read, the lifestyle of the prophet, how he moved, how he manifested God. And all of a sudden, for a prophet to be known to marry a prostitute, that was an eye-opener. That was a gossip column that went through Samaria at the capital and everybody was talking, did you hear that the prophet of God married a prostitute? And that's probably the, the true interpretation. But I was interesting reading... Uh, another rabbinic understanding of the narrative and another rabbinic saying that harlotry was basically something that God used when he was talking about false doctrine or false gods. So when Israel played a harlot, it followed after a false god. So it is possible that Hosea was asked to marry a woman that was spiritually compromised. She said, oh, I believe in the God of Israel. Of course I do. But secretively, she was following the prevailing religious and philosophical view at the time and visiting the groves. The groves were the areas that they worshipped the Baals and the Asherah poles. There were clearings and forests that they did their sacrifices in. And, and that there was a compromise in this woman. And this compromise was going to snowball, snowball into something that was going to be very major. And, you know, that, there's a truth to that, of course, in reality. When you live in compromise as a Christian, when you're not fully devoted to the Lord, something opens up in your life. And the devil can bring an awful lot of darkness when there's compromise in your life. You know, an awful lot of the woes that we do have as Christians, as believers, it's not that our sins aren't covered or forgiven, but, oh, what, 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 what pain we bear, friends, often as the song says, oh, what needless pain we bear, because we open the door for the enemy. And it could possibly be that this woman had a level of religious adherence to the God of Israel. And, and there's no doubt about it when you read the story, Hosea loves her, because God says, go love this woman. So there's a love there. But there's a compromise in her. And in time, this compromise of having a wrong view of God, a wrong worship, a wrong devoted life, and being devoted to other things that are not godly, she begins to drift. And so the marriage, the marriage becomes infected by a lot of wickedness. And so they have the first child, and the first child is a boy. So they have boy, girl, boy, that they have three children during the course of this marriage. The first boy is born, and his name is given as Jezreel. And, and that's prophetic. So everyone, they know the prophet of God has had a son. He's named Jezreel because it is a point in that God will not forget the past atrocities of Jehu, that God was going to deal with past sins and excesses of Israel. And so, and this was, all these children were, were basically, you could say, uh, you know, pictures to the nation, that the nation understood what was happening. But in the course of Hosea's marriage, you know, this woman is compromised now. And so she is more leaning into the Phoenician gods, the fertility gods, the prosperity thinking. She's moving away from the heart of God. And somewhere in that journey, she, it becomes underscored that she is now losing her true faith in God. And this compromise is growing day by day to eventually the children that are born, you know, are slowly, there's a lack of love in the marriage. So the next baby is, is a girl. And, and he says, call her and the name means not loved. Because love is departing from this woman. She's beginning to love the things of the world. She's taking her eyes off God. And the baby born and, and 
is God says, call this baby not loved. And so she has a third baby, which is a, a, a boy, Lo Ami. And that, at that stage, is where the adultery is, is probably actual and real. Because at this stage now, she, her heart has been moving away from her husband, moving away from the worship of God, moving away from her husband. And she is now in a relationship. And so she has prostituted herself, you know, religiously to the wrong and false gods. She has not lived devout to God and finds herself in a relationship, an adulterous relationship. And of course, Hosea knows this is going to happen. This is a breaking of his heart because he loves this woman. And now she's messing around behind his back and she has a baby and he's not sure if the baby is his or not. You know, and so the name of that child, Loami, which means not my son or not mine. And so there's this awful confusion. And that's chapter one. You can imagine how the nation must have looked at this. It must have been, it must have been a big deal at the time. The gossip columns for the Samaria Times, I'm sure, writing on it. I'm sure the agony ants heard about it. I'm sure everybody, the rumors were going on the airwaves or on the pigeons, the carrier pigeons or whatever they used back then, that the man of God, his marriage is in complete failure. His wife now has left the religion or the worship of God, Jehovah. She is in among the Asherah poles, which was a sexual form of worship. And the Baal's the same, the prosperity. She had forsaken God. And as a result of forsaking God, and it's amazing in our own lives as Christians, when we forsake our duty to God, everything else gets affected. Everything else gets affected. Our relationships with our spouses. You know, adulteries. And, and, and all forms of failure all happen from uh, uh, losing an intimacy with the Lord. It's, it's where it all starts, friends. Every sin that's on this planet starts because we first of all departed from God. It, you know, and, and that's, there's no restraining, there's no power. And so this woman, you know, she, she, she leaves. Chapter 2 is basically the, the accusations of her adultery and a divorce. I won't go into it all, but that's what chapter 2 is. And she's quite happy, actually, because she, she thinks her future is going to be better served by somebody else, other lovers, that, you know, that she's found a religion of prosperity and she's prospering and she seems to prosper for a period of time. And she's misinterpreting the prosperity and the goodness around her as coming from other gods and lovers when all the time in, in Gomer's life, the prosperity that she experienced was because secretively Hosea was giving her food and giving her, uh, giving her wine and giving her gold behind the scenes and looking after her. It's amazing, you know, when, when, we, when we move from the Lord, when we move our focus off Christ, and many today, you, you know, I want to even remind you, the roof over your head is not because someone has paid you a wage. You have a roof over your head because God's good to you. Amen. Oh, you know, I'm in the middle of a coven. Thank God the feed cork has given me some food. But I want to tell you, friends, it's not feed cork giving you food. It's God giving you food. Thank God I'm getting a COVID payment. It's not the government. It's the goodness of God. It's amazing how we start attributing to the lower elements around us. Oh, this person is good to me and that person is good to me and the system is good to me. And missing all the time, God is good to you. All good things come from God, come down from the Father of light in whom there is no shadow or turning. And so there's this misinterpreting and it's so easy as a Christian man. It's so easy for me to misinterpret the good things in my life as coming from my grandchildren or coming from my wife or my friends. When in actual fact, the person that is generating that love generating that kindness is the Holy Spirit. Amen. Because God is love, friends. And if you have experienced love anywhere in this world, true love, it's an extension of God's goodness to you. 
And all the way through Gomer's life, she's now divorced from Hosea. Hosea is brokenhearted. He loves her. You have to read it, friends. He loves this woman. God told him at the beginning, she's going to stab you in the back. She's going to run around behind your back, stab you in the back. But you're to love her. And so he does love her. Even though now she's divorced. And eventually her lifestyle falls apart. Not only is she divorced from Hosea, she has followed after many lovers. She's had many affairs, many men in her life. She's now washed up. She's so broken in chapter 2 that she ends up actually becoming a slave. As I said, a pair of sandals, if you couldn't pay, you, you, were, you were forced into slavery. That's how wicked the northern kingdom of Israel had become. And so she's a slave. And, and, and there's this heart of Hosea towards her. He doesn't stop loving her. Isn't it absolutely wonderful this morning? This woman, because of her own decision, her own stubbornness, her own wickedness, misinterpreting the love of God as if it came from other people or other places. You know, and yet in the midst of all that, the love of God hasn't ceased. And so this is a picture type, of course. It's a real story. It's a real marriage. They're real kids. There's real adultery here. There's real prison here. But he's paralleling it, of course, being the prophet to the nation of Israel that had walked away from the revelation and the kindness and the goodness of God. And yet, even though they had walked away, there is no shadow or turning with him. He loves his people. He loves this world. He loves humanity. He loves the seed of Adam. He created man in his image and his likeness. And I tell you, friends, this morning, God so loved the world, he still loves the world. I always say that because I think it becomes a revelation every time I say it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And then it hits me. God still loves the world. He's never stopped loving the world. I hear so many people become so sin-centered as if God can't love people. Let me tell you, friends, darkness is always dark, friends. But God, who can see through the darkness, hallelujah. God can see who you are. God knows your name, has a plan for your life, has a plan for my life. And so she ends up in absolute bondage. She ends up in a terrible pit. And Hosea is, the overtures coming from Hosea are kindly all the time. And the Lord speaks, I love this verse. She, she's in a very dark place now. Her, she's a failed marriage. She has had multiple failed relationships. You know, the nation knows the testimony. This, 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 this woman was married to a prophet of God. And she's a broken woman now. She's in bondage. Nobody wants her. Nobody cares about her. And I want to tell you, friends, nobody will ever care about you the way God cares about you. People will use you. People will take advantage of your strength, your personality, your youth, your looks, your body your money, your time. But I tell you, friends, Jesus loves you. God loves you today. The awfulness of this story is to show the great unchanging love of God, the never failing love of God to go after the, the one, friends, to go after he chose to love you. You don't, in the natural, we're not lovable, but he chose to love you. It's his choice. It's his absolute desire to show you love and to bring you to a place of rescue. And I love this verse in chapter, in chapter 2 of Hosea. In verse 14. And this is, but, but then I will win her back once again. Hallelujah. In the King James, it says, I will allure her. I will allure her. You know, and the connotation in the Hebrew is that I will stoop down to where she is. And I will woo her. I just love that, friends. I love the notion that God's stooping down into a desert place, into, a, into broken lives. And I will woo you. 
I will, I, I, I will love you. Wednesday night, we had a, a message about God engraving you in the palm of his hands. You know, God will never those, use those hands to, to hold you and rape you and force you into a relationship. He allures you, friends. He woos you with his love and his grace and his mercy. He brings you to a place. I've seen that irresistible grace come upon you that you can't deny that the only one who truly loves me is him. You can't deny it, friends. The love of men and children, even the precious grandchildren, it's as fickle as the last toy I buy them. <laughs> no, it's not. It's a bit more than that. None of us live in illusions. We don't have the ability to love the way God loves. And yet, we need that love. Yet we need it. We can't get it from one another. We can't give it to one another. Yet there is that desperate cry in our hearts to be loved, accepted and comforted and protected. All of us. Every man needs forgiveness. Every man, every man and woman needs love. Every man and woman needs to have a sense of purpose and belonging, safety. The yearns in the heart of all people. And here we have this word from God, I will win her back, I will allure her, I will lead her into a desert and I will speak tenderly to her. I will return her vineyards to her, praise you Jesus. And, and I love this because it says I will turn or transform the valley of acre or the valley of trouble into a door of hope. I will turn the valley of Acre. Now, we, many of us do know that allegory, of course. The valley of Acre refers back to the book of Joshua. When Joshua went into the promised land, remember that story, and told them before you take Jericho, no man is to take any plunder from Jericho. Tell all the troops to live right. All the plunder goes to the Lord because it's an establishing of the worship of God at that time. And there was a man called Achan that disobeyed the word of the Lord and he took some gold and he took an ornament and he took some material and garments and he hid them in his tent and brought great shame because at that time God was speaking so directly for a man to disobey in such obvious manner when God was moving the pillar and the cloud and the power even Jericho itself was not the victory of of Israel it was the victory of God God caused the collapse of those walls friends every soldier fell to that ground off that wall they just walked into that city and took it everything was and that's why the Lord said that the victory is mine don't do that, Achan. And Achan took from the Lord. And he brought really a curse upon the next situation where they went into Ai a few days later to take that second city. And of course, in Ai, they were routed by a smaller force and a great, a great fear came over Israel. But when it was uncovered that Achan had disobeyed the word of the Lord, they took Achan and his family and they brought him into a valley and they stoned him to death. And that valley became known as the Valley of Achan or the Valley of Trouble. And so it's a picture. Here we have a go, a go, a Gomer. And I want you to tell, do you know what the meaning of the name Gomer means? Some of you will know already. It means complete failure. Complete failure. I want you to take a complete failure for your wife. Well, and I want you to love her. I want you to think about this for a moment. Before time began. Before you and I were ever created. Can you imagine God the Father saying to God the Son, now I want you to create man in our image. I want you to love them. But before you do, Jesus, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. They're going to cheat on you. They're going to run around behind your back. They're going to end up in prison. And you're going to have to buy them back. And he said, I delight to do thy will, O God. Hallelujah. And even the trouble 
I will turn the valley of trouble into a door of hope. I just love it, friends, because we are in trouble today. We're in trouble every day. Surely as sparks fly upwards, Solomon wrote it in Ecclesiastes, man is born to trouble. Trouble everywhere, friends. Sin entered this domain. Sin entered into the created world, friends, and wrecked its havoc upon us. Why? It could only wreck its havoc because we opened the door and we let it in gladly. And yet, with all our failure, with all the sin around us, there is such a hope for you and I today. And Gomer is going to be wooed again. And I think about how many Gomers at the moment are out there listening this morning that you feel hopelessness. You are, I was so delighted to hear Hamp use that word because he had no idea I'm going to be speaking on the door of hope this morning. But I want to tell you there's hope for you today. There's hope for your situation. You may be locked down because of your own foolishness. You may be in, prison, in the prison probably of your own making or you've contributed to it somewhere along the line. But I want to tell you, friends, there's hope for you. The hope in the Bible is not some sort of vain expression of change. Like, I hope the number seven bus will be on time. That's, what not, that's not what the word hope means. When the Bible uses the word hope, the word in, in, the, in the Hebrew is LPC. It means to anticipate with pleasure, expectation, confidence, faith, and hope. It's something far more than wishful. Oh, I just hope change will happen. When you have a hope, when you have a biblical hope, there's an anticipation with pleasure and joy that something great is going to happen. Amen. You don't know the form or the shape of it. You don't know what the deliverance is going to look like. You don't know how it's going to work out, but it's going to work out. It, there's no doubt about it, Christian. It's going to work out. I don't know what that means for tomorrow or the day after, but I know it's going to work out. We have a hope, the Bible says, that is steadfast and certain. We can anticipate. Praise God, First Peter says. Praise God in his great mercy. He has given to us the new birth into a living hope. That's what we have as Christians, a living hope, friends. A living expectation, a living faith, a living confidence. Even though this woman is a complete failure. She's at the end of her failure. She's now out there, outcast. She's been thrown away by all her lovers, all her false gods, all her false philosophies. All her ideas that she dreamt up herself outside of God. Well, I think it should be like this. And I think maybe it's like that. After a while, who cares what I think? What does God say? Back to the book. There's a, an alluring. How many of us have strayed into foolish philosophy when God wasn't enough? When his revelation wasn't enough? You know, we get lost in our own intellect, don't we? Wow, how many are out there trapped in your own mind? Trapped in the sum total of your own thoughts. God love you. That's the worst trap of all. Let me tell you. It's the worst prison. To be trapped in your own intellect. But the church, the just don't live by intellect. The church, the just should live by faith. And there's that alluring. There's that stooping down of God coming into the situation time and time again. We have produced so much in our lives, friends, that is not godly and righteous. But thank God we are married to a husband that doesn't divorce us. Amen. I hate divorce. We may have walked and found ourselves in a dark place, turned away. We might be in the valley of acre, the valley of trouble, but the promise still rests upon the child of God today. I will turn the valley of trouble into a door of hope. Yes, yes. Hallelujah. An anticipation of, and a confidence of faith and hope. You know, friends, you're not a prisoner in your home to COVID. 
I'm here to tell you this morning, you are a prisoner in your home unto hope. You are a prisoner of hope. Hallelujah. You are not a prisoner of your circumstances. You're not a prisoner of the virus, friends. You are not, and you may be in the world's view that way. We are locked down like everybody else. But we do not, friends, we do not live as other men live. We do not mourn as others who do not have hope. Zechariah chapter 9. This is what it says, because of the covenant I made with you, talking to Christ, sealed with your blood, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Come back to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. And I want to encourage you this morning as we are in the word of God, that because of the blood of the covenant of God's Son, Jesus Christ, amen, that God would awaken you one more time and say, now Christian, you need to start reforming your thinking. You need to start, stop thinking yourself as weak and defeated and locked down and locked away because you're not. You are a prisoner of my hope. I am starting and I will finish in your life what I've started, amen. You are not a prisoner to your circumstances. You are a prisoner to my hope. Hallelujah. The word prisoner means to accord something that binds you. Something that, that, that ties you in. Paul talked to, when he went to Jerusalem about being bound, a prisoner to the spirit. He says in 2 Corinthians 5.14, for the love of God constrains me. In other words, the love of God makes me a prisoner. Hallelujah. That's the word constrain. Constrain means to bind or to arrest or to make a prisoner. And the love of God has bound us, friends, to a hope. It has constrained us to one, one, mono, one, one monologue only. One storyline only, friends. That we are built upon the hope of Christ Jesus. Amen. We don't hope in an antivirus. We don't hope in chariots and horses and governments, friends. We don't hope in the philosophies of this world or the empty talk from talk show, show hosts, friends. We are prisoners to the hope of Christ. We are bound to that. And he is bound to us. And even though we stray, as Gomer strayed, Hosea loved us. And even though we stray, friends, God loves you. I am bound to the backslider. <coughs> Oh, what hope we have this morning. We're not locked down by a virus, friends. We are bound to the hope of Christ and us, the hope of glory. We are bound to that reality. Everything. Don't misinterpret the good in your life today. No matter how small it is, it has all come from God. All his love that flows to you and to, to me. We are bound to that love, friends. Always be prepared, the scripture says, to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give you reasons for the hope. Oh, well, my hope is this. is because, first of all, you have no hope in the world. I've tried it. I was Gomer. I thought, well, I'll have a little bit of God, but I'll have a little bit of the world. And then the world won me for a period and wrecked me, and destroyed me. But he came back. He bought me. He purchased me with gold. He brought me back into his house and he loved me. He restored my vineyards to me. That's your testimony. He restored my vineyards to me. My fruitfulness, my joy, my happiness. That's the hope you and I have this morning, friends. We're not prisoners to circumstance. We are prisoners of hope. Return to that stronghold, Zachariah says. 
The stronghold is Christ. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run in and they're saved. He is our stronghold. And so as we begin to turn our eyes back to Christ this morning, regardless of our failures, and friends, our failures are many. They brought us all forms of chastisements, all forms of whips across our back. But thanks be to God, oh love that will not let me go, as the hymn writer once wrote. I will allure her. I will step down. And even this morning, wherever you are in your home, you know, God is doing everything he can, knocking on the door to step down to where you are, to tell you how much he loves you, to reassure you that you're a prisoner of his hope, for you to return to that stronghold of that truth, for you as a Christian man or a woman to say, I am going back to the stronghold of my faith. I am going back to the rock of my salvation. I'm going back into the name of the Lord is my strong tower. I'm righteous. I'm the righteousness of God. I am married to him. I may have left him, but he never left me. I may have walked away from him, but he never walked away from me. I may have closed my arms to him, but his arms are always open to me. And there's a dawning in this utter failure of a woman that my husband still loves me. And he stoops down in a wilderness, in a desert, and he begins to woo her and allure her. Hallelujah. From the wilderness, I promise you, friends, God will give you vineyards. God will give you springs of water. From the trouble of life, he will give you hope. Your desert will blossom as a rose. Why? Because we are prisoners of this hope. The Bible says our hope will not disappoint. We've come too far, friends, to turn. I received an, a communication on, online from a very good, she's a senior Christian, served the Lord for over 30 years in ministry. Uh, good works for the Lord, ministered, a woman of very good reputation. Wouldn't be known by anybody here in this, in this country. But she reached out and she said, Pastor, I'm in such a dark place. I can't sense the presence of the Lord. I'm not in any known deliberate sin, she said, that I can think of. I, I meant to go to a prayer meeting online tomorrow. She said, I don't even know how I can face the people. I'm just empty. And I, did, and I waited two or three days to share with her. And all I could share was to remind her of the truth of who she is. I said, you know, it's not about how you feel now at this moment. It's about the truth of God, what he says about you. It's a time for you to embrace, I am a Christian. I don't feel like a Christian, but I am a Christian. I don't feel like I'm loved at times, but I am loved. The feelings will return. And I encourage her, I said, not only are you loved, you're lovely in the eyes of God. I reminded her, that we have not, as the psalmist says, you have not brought us this far to disappoint us. And so you may feel like you're locked in a prison of your own making. He hasn't brought you there to disappoint you. Right now, the Holy Spirit is near you. Stooping down. Tapping you on the inner shoulder, saying, I'm with you always. Even to the end of the age. Even through your foolishness and your wickedness. I will pursue you. I will allure you. I will restore again the wine and the joy of your salvation. Hallelujah. So regardless of all your failure, return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Our hope 
will not disappoint. Would you pray with me this morning as we close out this service that maybe in your heart something might be sparking even now. You might feel like Gomer, an absolute total failure. I got news for you. You are and so am I. But Jesus never fails. He's the one that comes after us. And you're here this morning because the Spirit of God has brought you back again to hear this message of hope. Return to the stronghold. Return to Christ. Turn your eyes again upon Jesus. The one that has, you have put him into the shadows by your behavior. You relegated him to the sideline of your life. You thought you could make yourself happy, make yourself successful. You thought maybe you could just get a little bit beyond yourself with your intellect and add to Christ other religions or other thinking and other philosophies. Look how far that's got you. Return to the stronghold. The prisoners of his hope. This confidence will come back to you. This expectation. This sense of his presence will return. Yeah, your situation mightn't change, but in your mind it's going to change, in your heart's going to change. And then eventually your circumstances will change too. Return to the stronghold, you prisoner of hope. Come back to the Lord. Begin to bow your head with me this morning and say, Oh, Jesus, oh, how I have strayed from you. I failed in so many ways. I just feel wretched at times. And he's going to say, it's okay. I forgive you. I love you. He's stooping down even now. He stooped down 2,000 years ago when he became part of this human race pushed out through the birth canal like every baby walked amongst us saw the depravity of us not from a distance but from up close saw the wife beaters and the gamblers and the alcoholics the perverts the men of violence the lies, the thieves the immorality saw it all firsthand, knew who they were watched them, looked at them in the eye in the synagogues and on the streets Yet he stayed, friends, and he stayed to go to a cross. Wow, did he stoop down and took upon himself the penalty of our sin, the chastisement of our peace was laid upon him. And this morning, those stripes are here to heal you in every way. And so, God, I pray for the men and women, boys and girls that might be watching today, Lord. They feel like Gomer, complete failures. They have produced things in their lives that are not, not legitimate, Lord. But Lord God, they're in the desert and I pray you will come and meet them in that place. Holy Spirit, even now, Lord, put your hand upon your people. I pray for the men and women that might be watching that have never known you in that salvation way, Lord. They've known you, Lord, as Lord and Savior. That God, you would reveal your love, Lord God. Those nail-pierced hands, those feet that were pierced, that side that was pierced, that face, Lord, that was marred, that back that was whipped, oh God. That you would show yourself your mercy, Lord God. That all this was done, that a way could be made open for them to go to heaven. That their sins could be forgiven. That they could walk with God as princes and princesses. I pray for you this morning, person that is watching, that doesn't know this salvation. That you would return to, to the only stronghold there is in life, which is, which is the Lord Jesus. You would return to him. You would come to him even now. Just as you are just like Gomer in the prison of your own mind 
of your own intellect, of your own sin and own failure and look to him and live. Bow the knee, humble yourself. Ask him for forgiveness. He will surely give it to you. He gave it to me. I don't see why he would withhold it to you. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. This is his promise. And I will dine with him. I will sup with him. And I will, I will eat with you. Father, I pray even now, Lord Jesus, as we, as we become once again the prisoners of hope, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. We are not prisoners to a coronavirus. Or our finances are a bad marriage. We are prisoners to hope. And that God, you will fix everything in time, Lord. In your way and in your time, you make all things beautiful. So again, Lord, beautify our lives, Lord. Take hold of them and make them plain. Let your glory come. Let your presence return, Lord. Break in again, O Jesus, upon our failure. And let your name be glorified. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for tuning in with us today. I hope you were blessed. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website, www.corkchurch.com. Again, thanks for tuning in and see you next time. God bless.